Gentiles. Gentiles being the first to come and worship Christ, our babe, the newborn king. Not the Jews, not those who had studied and known of his coming and been waiting for it. But rather, these men from the east, magi. So who in the world are these magi? Over the years, we've seen depicted in greeting cards three magi. Some have assigned names, but the reality is, is that we don't know a lot of detail about them. I recently listened to John MacArthur and his uh, very thought out, very sought out historical sort of reach back and looking at the history of who are these men, the Magi. Now, his teaching was 45 minutes, and I have 15 at most with good Episcopalians before I'm uh, encouraged to move on out of the pulpit. So, I'm going to give you a download, if you will, of the history of these men, these Magi that come as we celebrate Epiphany, being led by the light of God to find Christ. It turns out that these Magi were from a tribe called the Medes, who were traced back to all the great empires of the world, possibly even first found in Genesis 12. They were of a a pagan priestly order, not unlike that of the Levites. And they were born into this work. They studied science and astrology and astronomy. Very often, their science and their superstition blended together. That they were also of a priestly order in which they performed sacrifices, very similar to that of Judaism. They were also known as highly intuitive sorcerers of such, and were put in high places as advisors to many of the rulers of empires over the ages. From this line of Medes also came judges. So they were from a tribe and a people of great influence and power. They were probably the most powerful of men in the East with their social and political and religious influence. They came to be known as king makers because in the East, no one could become a king without having been trained up by these magi. In time, they moved into other courts and were in the Babylonian court And certainly they're advising Nebuchadnezzar in his day and age. We read in Daniel 6 where Daniel is one who out interprets Nebuchadnezzar's strange dream over these magi and becomes head of these magi. In such a position, he would have been able to download to these magi, certainly the traditions of the Old Testament, and to have educated them about the long-awaited king for the Jews. 
Messiah to come that would bring justice and truth to the earth. So it's not inconceivable that some of these magi from the Medes tribe would have yearned for such a king, for at the time in which Jesus was birthed, they were disillusioned with their own king, their own ruler, and so they were on a mission to find a true king. It's interesting to know that they were of such prominence that they would not have traveled alone as maybe it's depicted in our greeting cards or even our nativities, but that they would have actually come in full force riding in on steeds in full regalia with a cavalry of sorts. Imagine that picture that kind of power come riding in to Bethlehem, seeking out this newborn king. Where is this Christ child? No doubt Herod would have known that they were kingmakers, and Herod had been named king of the Jews. No doubt he already had a bit of disease around the whole Persian Empire and their influence and the threat they were to his own power in Rome. But that they came riding into town, not coming to worship him, but to this babe. We hear in our story of how Herod goes to the religious leaders and says, tell me again, when is this Messiah to come and where will he be? And He's got to get re-familiarized with the story that he should have already known. It says that he was distressed, frightened with all of Jerusalem with him. It wasn't just three men riding in, but a whole posse of power brokers from the east. They come riding in, and they come to seeking out the one that the Jews should have been worshiping. But instead, they stood off in fear, shaking in their boots. And I think that the most astonishing thing in this whole drama that has been building over time, if you can see that, that God had them in this position throughout many, many empires. It was a position of power and then brought Daniel while in captivity into a place of power and position to be one to teach them the ways of uh, and the traditions of the Jewish and the hopes of the Jewish people. So that when there was this opening of time and place and a vacuum in their own leadership that they some said, well, let us go find this, this one. That they too sought out truth and justice in a leader. These kingmakers arrive. And once they find this child, they go in and they not only offer him gifts worthy of a king, but they bow down and worship him. Now in this reading we heard today, they bowed down, they knelt down. Some translations 
say that they prostrated themselves before him. This act of prostrating oneself is an act of worship that is still done at some ordinations of priesthood even today. It signifies a relinquishing of the past, of all that you have worshipped before and all that you've been before. It is an act of total surrender to follow and serve. And this is the act that they do before this babe. Jesus as king, Lord of all. In that act, they are pointing to the one true king of all time. These powerful men of great influence in the known world are laying all of that down at Jesus' feet. I would say this is, without a doubt, a sign of transformed hearts. And this is what God desires of the Jews and of us. The Jews were to inherit this right of worshiping this one true king, and yet something got in the way of their actually doing that when he arrived. I have to wonder, did they let their expectation of who the Messiah would be get in the way? Was it where he came from that got in the way or... Possibly had they become so comfortable in their lives of enslavement to the Romans that as many abused become loyal to their abuser even when given the opportunity to escape. Somehow they have failed to have an open imagination to what can be with a true king. They were possibly more comfortable worshiping their own man-made idols than the true Messiah. Whatever the issue, God would ensure, had been planning it from the very beginning of history, that his son would be properly worshipped. And that in this case, it would even be by the Gentile kingmakers, the Magi who lay down their power and presence as an act of worship. I hope you can see that this is something I believe that we too are called to emulate even today. This all-in kind of worship where we turn our full selves to lay down before Christ, the one true King, with all we have, mind, body, and spirit, and our possessions. So how do we, in this fresh start to a new year, turn our hearts to seek this one true king, to worship him, to bow down before him, it might be something so simple as when you wake up and open your eyes and thank God for another day and another breath, that you flop on your belly, say, I'm yours, Lord. 
That's minimal effort. I'm just saying, just flop on your belly in your bed. I'm in. Do with me what you will this day, Lord. Somewhere along the line in my faith journey, I have started memorizing scripture, and it's, I don't even remember when it started, but before I even open my eyes, I hear in my head, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a sweet thing to wake up to, to know that we are in this together. I am God's and he is mine. How are we to seek truth and goodness and mercy? What is the star that we will follow? I might suggest that one way of saying I'm in is to enter into worship through reading his word. I've made a commitment to try and read the scripture through this year. As it's been pointed out, if you use the day-by-day, forward day-by-day, in two years, you'll have read the whole of the Bible. We're talking about another program that we might do, but whatever it is, whether it's that or laying on your belly in the morning, to put God first. And remember, He is large and in charge. It might be something so simple as taking one of these home blessing kits home and saying yes to the light of Christ over your home in this new year. I guarantee as you start to do it, you'll hear things like, oh, this is so silly. Oh, I, you know, I don't really have time for this. Oh, I don't know how to do this right. Oh, fill in the blank. The enemy does not want you to do this because it is like pouring blood over your household and saying, you can't have me. I am standing in the light this year. Be gone, darkness. What a gracious gift to give others that you love and care about. Whatever it is, I implore, I encourage you to worship as the Magi have demonstrated us and to celebrate and know that God opened the way for you and I to be part of this family grafted in as Christ's own for all of eternity. What a treasure we have and what power we have in Christ and the light that shines within you, the light that we're given at baptism. That's what we claim in this season of Epiphany. The biggest secret is that it is greater than any world power. We fear these days atomic bombs, but I would say that the power we have within us, this Holy Spirit, is far greater. And I look forward to, in this new year, unpacking how are we to tend to and steward this power of the Holy Spirit within us, to be dangerous in the world, You know, as we put these hope signs out, we're being dangerous because we're saying to the world, there's a bigger story, God's story, and it is that he loves 
all people. Amen.